Welcome to the Sober Community Channel, where our goal is to open minds and soften hearts concerning one of the greatest healthcare crises facing our country, which is addiction to drugs and alcohol. Hi, everybody. It is Rocky, and we are back with Bigger Than Me and Bree. Hi, Bree. We also have a special guest today. Justin, how are you today? Good. How are you doing? Everybody, this is Justin Kunzelman. He's here to talk about his story, what he does in the community. It's an incredible story. Um, so I guess, can Justin, we can start at the beginning of how we met. Uh, I got kicked out of a uh, uh, flop house for trying to fake a drug test with bleach. <laughs> Right, because I was smoking weed, and uh, they were like, "It smells like bleach in here," and I'm like, "That's because it's a laundry room." Right, it was a laundry room, to be fair. <laughs> but, um, and uh, and they they sent me to to your your house, chapter seven, and then uh, I think my my dad dropped me off with all my possessions, just two garbage bags, a skateboard, and a blender, and. Uh, then I, I got drunk probably 20 times. <laughs> like immediately, immediately after intake, the way I remember Immediately. That. Yeah. Your, your dad, I, I'll never forget the look in his eyes. I mean, just what parents have, you know? And he was like, can you do whatever you can to help my son? Yeah. And I was like, we'll try our best. And we talked, and uh, you walked away, and I think the next time I saw you, you were... Hammered. Yeah, you, you have this swaying thing you do when drunk. It's... Oh, yeah. When I used to live in a, in, I used to live in, a, in the hood in like a weed trap. And they would, all the dudes would call me rubber legs because I, I just, <laughs> you I literally yeah, swayed. I it, and it happened for, <coughs> for probably like six months, I think, after I got sober. When's the last time you swayed? Uh, it was probably. Do you remember that? Because I do. I don't know. I think it was probably in the driveway of Chapter 7, like by the tree. And everyone was like, you're drunk. And I'm like, you're drunk. Like, what, I'm not drunk. What year are we talking? It had to be 2009, right? Yeah, 2009. I remember also the EDI experience on your last bender. Oh, yeah, they caught me drunk and brought me to EDI. Yeah, that's what I remember. Oh, with uh, with what's-his-name? You were taking him to the hospital to detox, and you bought him a beer. And right. And he, like, drank, like, half of it, and I was, like, an hour sober. And, like, I just let you guys kept walking. <laughs> I slowed down because he set it down on the parking curb I missed and I, I went to run back to get the beer to finish the beer and they like turned around they're like where's just hey <laughs> like what are you doing I, and I was I, like he's uh, not gonna finish it like, I we have some great stories uh there's that Bob story but we'll, we'll come back to that another day <laughs> that was amazing but I I remember you swaying outside of the clubhouse and I was like oh we're, we're back here again because you had remembered we had talked about the doctor's opinion so you kind of were getting catching on to what was going on repeatedly yeah yeah and then and then you you said I, I it happened again and this time I woke up next to an ex and I'm, I'm never gonna drink again oh that was after that was, was <laughs> you kicked me out for two weeks sorry and then I drank like 15 times okay not sorry <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> You kicked me out for two weeks, and that was like at the end of the two weeks. Right. I, I was like back to being homeless for like those two weeks, and then uh, I think I actually went. I think that's the time I I took the big book. We had gone through doc the um, the doctor's opinion, 
and I got all hyped up and I took the big book to a friend of mine's house. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to read him the doctor's opinion. And then as soon as I got there, he was like, yo, you want a drink? And like handed me a four loco, like back when they still had like energy drink in them. And I was like, yeah, I do. And then I, I just like, <laughs> yeah, let's I, read the big book. I literally wound up drunk. And then like six hours later, I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing this. So you practice and, the doctor's opinion. Welcome <laughs> to yeah. That happens a lot. Welcome to South Florida. And then you're like, come home. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> you're gone for two weeks. <laughs> And then I woke up next to that girl, and that was I was just like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Yeah, that's I'm what you said. Like, you're like, yeah, it was that one instance. There it was. There's been the drinking, really, the homeless, and then her, and I'm never going back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're happily married with a family. Yeah, yeah. That was a, a really toxic, <laughs> toxic relationship for me. So. Your, uh, your story is amazing. I mean, we, we only have a, a small amount of time on the show, but it's just such an amazing story. Um, to watch what you've done in your personal life, in your professional life, um, in the community. Uh, talk to me about a little about, I mean, can I show your four-step? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's not common, but you're, you're a free, free person. So I'll never forget your first four-step. You come to me and you're like, oh, here's my fears. And, uh, and I look at them and there's three things on there. Uh, the government, uh, monogamy, and spiders. Yeah. How are you doing with that nowadays? I mean, I'm, I'm very, very, very happily married. Uh, so the, with, the monogamy with part a is child on, a child a three-year-old a three-year-old son um, and a child on the way due in September congratulations man. Um, and then I, spiders I, I live in the country out in Loxahatchee so um, they're just that's just a part of life <laughs> how you doing with that government yeah. thing I, I mean the government technically pays me okay but <laughs> I'm still not entirely sure that they're uh, <laughs> they're you know I'm am still a little concerned with the government. We'll, we'll do a <laughs> gaslighting an episode so. like February 31st. But uh, but basically, the government you work for the government or they work for you. You work with the government. Yeah, I mean we we work in conjunction. They they fund um, they fund Rebel Recovery um, to do our work. Um, they're our sole funder right now. Um, you have a fully functioning 501c3. You just got that recently. Yeah, two weeks ago. Congratulations. So, I worked. Thank you. I worked really hard on it. You I did. Uh, I no, no business training, no nonprofit degree, just just a dude with a computer and figuring out how to do it. I mean, right, and uh, and you employ people. Yeah, we have uh, nine employees um, besides myself. Um, Full time health insurance, vision, dental. Right. Um, you know, full, and, fully functioning agency. And the company's called Rebel Recovery Florida, and their mission is. Um, to educate um, and empower drug users um, with compassion, empathy, um, and um, to create no barrier access to um, services. Just whatever the individual in front of us is asking for to remove all the barriers to them getting that, that assistance, um, regardless of what it is. And, and here's the thing that's kind of unique about you I really admire is like you're a guy that got sober with the big book mm -hmm. and the 12 steps I saw you get up and the light come on for you and help a ton of people we've literally gone into places and grabbed you know people in the worst of worst scenarios and brought them back out and gave them food and, and care yeah. and all that stuff and then you incorporated the big book into your life in a way that is not as common as others you, you didn't stay on the same track you really took it to homes occupations and affairs yeah, and you and you live the principles of that daily. 
I try to. Yeah, right. and, and we, I mean, well, you know, fall short here or there, whatever the case may be. Somebody, you know, not a lot of dog kicking or non-beating, right, in your life. But, no. but but I'm sure, like, we have, we're human, you know. But at the same time, yeah. you really have incorporated A into your daily life. Mm-hmm. And you're not really that much in the meaning scene. No. Or any of that stuff. But you're definitely sober. I mean, you're, what yep. is, that's 2009? Were you, like, seven years clean? Something like that? Uh, nine, almost nine. nine. I just woke up. I'm pretty sure that it's... about that. I just robbed you of two years. I'm pretty sure it's nine either last month or this month. I don't... I I didn't keep track of my date. I I wait... I literally wait on a text from Eric Schneido to... He's to tell me because his is a day after mine. So he texts me and yeah. he's like, "Hey man, happy nine years or whatever right, it is." And I'm like, "Oh, is that today? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man." Right. He's doing great things too. He um, is. He's doing awesome. He's doing great. So that's fantastic. But um, just another great story. So, in in your day to day affairs, you're basically. I mean, let, let me talk about just the the statistics of the change in the community you're making, not through like twelve stepping and bringing people to benches, saves right. Well, you're one of the people that distributes Narcan to the community, right? I was the person to start it in in South Florida. Right. I have like 15 of them in my house that you gave me to distribute to other addicts, right? Yep. Um, you get a supply every single month, mm-hmm. right? That's pretty pretty large, I would assume. Uh, I think right now we order like 600 doses a month, 600 kits, right? Uh, which is like 1,200 doses. Right. And then, yeah, there's two in a box. And then that's the nasal injected one. Yep. That's the most powerful, I think. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty high dose. It's considered a high dose. Right. It's, it's eight times of a normal recommended dose of naloxone. So right. Like and the injectable one, like the leg one, or just like regular. No, it's um, nasal spray. It's um, normal doses of of naloxone are point uh, four milligrams, one cc. The uh, nasal sprays are four milligrams. So it's a concentrated, eight times dose. Just um, goes right in the nose. It's easy. Yep, and just then, one nose, just one. I mean, it's it's the same amount of, of mist as from like an Afrin bottle or anything, any other right. type of nasal spray. It's it's very quick, clean. Just it's a little different than the Pulp Fiction bring them back yeah, style. No adrenaline shot. To the yeah, heart. that's like <laughs> you should never be stabbing anybody in the heart with anything. <laughs> like I don't unless it's a vampire. Yeah, like there <laughs> adrenaline adrenaline is not effective on on heroin overdoses. I don't. Right. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino didn't do his research. Right. So um, so that being said, how many saves did you guys, were you responsible for helping people to not die that month, last month? Last month was 34, and I think that was our highest reported month. Um, I think altogether since we started, this is since we started um, tracking um, when the state started funding uh, naloxone for us. Uh, I think we have 1,200 maybe a little over 1,200 saves um, reported. Wow. And those are all user to user. Um, those aren't like hospitals or EMS or fire or, or police or, or- That's somebody. That's somebody using drugs, using the naloxone on another person using drugs or a family member using it on their These family are the people that, using that drugs. Normally you just see an RIP post on Facebook, nobody yeah. gets to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And 34 of them. So what's your advice to people that are using or have friends that are using? How do we help you get the word out? So how do they get it so that those addicts that aren't going to be in the rooms that we can't help can at least have a shot at not dying? Uh, I mean, if, if, if it's an individual, they can just come down to Rebel Recovery. Um, 
they can call us at, at 561-508-8388. Um, they'll give them the information. Uh, just come into the office during office hours, contact one of our peers, someone will bring it to you if you can't get there. Um, but really, I mean, life-saving measures are ensuring that people have um, clean supplies um, if they're going to continue using drugs. Needle um, so exchange? That, uh, yeah, not, not even just exchange, but just like um, ensuring that people are using clean supplies when they're currently using drugs. It, it, you know, we have to look at the rates of HIV, uh, hep C. We have to look at the rates of um, endocarditis, um, things like that that come from um, drug users using dirty supplies. I mean, anything from um, meth or crack pipes, um, right. where they're sharing meth and crack pipes, they should be using um, slip-covered mouth guards um, to, to take care of any burns that may occur on the mouth um, and transfer anything that right. way. Um, Do you know I was smoking crack like seven, 15 months ago and you, yeah, yeah. you were on you, Facebook? You, saw you, came to my, you came to my house, remember we talked? Okay. Yeah. We like had the whole I conversation. Do, I, I never heard of a mouth guard, right? I just feel a little left out right now. Um, thanks, Justin. <laughs> so um, things like that and just, you know, always make sure that we uh, that you're carrying naloxone. Um, make sure that people who use drugs have naloxone or are aware of how to use it. Um, um, you know, do test shots. Uh, don't use alone. Don't use in a locked bathroom. Um, go slow. Uh, it, and this is for anybody. Um, there's a common misconception that it's only uh, dope that's it's cross-contaminated with fentanyl. Yeah. But really what we're seeing is methamphetamine, crack cocaine, really uh, crack. regular cocaine. Yeah, molly. So that um, means people that are taking crack hits and overdosing? Yeah. I mean, we they have um, they have a bunch of reported overdoses in New York and, and even locally here. Um, we've seen... Um, that actual opiate overdoses are, are very low here. Most of the overdoses come from fentanyl, um, but some of our local hospitals don't even have the ability to test for fentanyl. I know that's weird because I can test people for fentanyl in the parking lot behind a dumpster. Uh, I have these little strips. Yeah, so the, the, fact that a ho- yeah, the fact that a hospital can't do it is, is a little strange to me, but um, they're not testing people and they're, they're registering it as like cocaine overdose, things like that. But really when you look, it's, it's fentanyl and, um, you know, naloxone works with fentanyl. Um, I think people need to start, um, testing their drugs if they're not sure what their supply is. Is there a way to do that? Yeah. We're about to start, um, distributing fentanyl testing strips. So, um, users can test the residue of their bags or their cookers, um, so that they can be aware, um, if fentanyl is present in their drugs, there's, there's very few supplies of drugs now that are not cross contaminated with fentanyl, um, whether through just chance or, um, accidental cross contamination or somebody is actually cutting it into the drugs. And, um, it's presenting a a huge danger. I mean, for, um, folks who are staying away from one type of substance so that they don't overdose and going to another, um, and they're they're experiencing the same thing over and over. So right. So you basically we're all talking about education. Yeah, it's 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 really needed to it's it's important to ensure that the education that we're giving um, people who are using drugs and people who are trying to enter recovery or seeking recovery or in recovery, um, folks who are engaging in treatment, our our local providers, um, police, firefighters, really anybody involved whose lives touch that of a drug user that we're ensuring common sense education. Um, there's a lot of misinformation that is costing people their lives. Things like uh, believing that you can overdose if, if fentanyl touches your skin. 
it is scientifically impossible. Right. Um, things like uh, saying that marijuana is laced with fentanyl, it's impossible to get high from smoking fentanyl uh, at all. Okay. So the idea that people would lace their, their cannabis with fentanyl is, is insane, but it's these are myths that are perpetrated that there's naloxone resistant drugs. That's not true. And, and they're, they're myths that are perpetrated, but you know, they, they have a, a large effect on the, the, peop, the community of people who use drugs to, in general. So people are dying literally, no, we're not even talking about going through the 12 steps, finding relationships with higher power. Mm-hmm. People who are not in that place, right? Yeah. Are dying just because they have bad information. Yeah. And they're not well prepared Police to are, supplies. I mean, consider that uh, if, if you believe that, if a police department believes that, um, that fentanyl is something that is airborne, that can, can cause them to overdose just simply by having it touch their skin or by going into a room where fentanyl is present, they are less likely to enter into the room without waiting for a hazmat suit. Right, and we're talking about precious seconds. Like people don't die from overdose due to um, strict toxicity to opiates. They die from um, from respiratory issues. It shuts down the respiratory. It shuts down your respiratory system. So when it shuts down your respiratory system, no oxygen is being carried to your brain. That's why we see. we see um, compartmentalization in, in limbs, limbs that don't work, um, paralyzation from just falling over on your leg or something like that. Um, we see a lot of overdoses that are reversed where the person comes out and they're, they're in a vegetative state because no oxygen has gotten to their brain for, for a period of two or three minutes. You know, every second counts. And that's why we encourage everybody, um, including police departments and law enforcement agencies, family, friends, to carry naloxone because there is no way to tell how long it's been unless you were watching that person the whole time. You kids, it's impossible to know that. Yeah. They so, could have been there for five minutes like that exactly. or 20. And, and <clears throat> you know, the difference between three minutes and five minutes is life or death. And this, yeah, it's literally seconds. Yeah. So you also spend your time educating not just addicts and giving them supplies. Can you get clean needles to people too? Mm-hmm. You can. Yeah, we run underground syringe exchange. Okay, so that's not underground anymore. My mom listens to this show, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she's not going to tell nobody. Um, Bree, can we put Rebel Recovery's information on this Absolutely. podcast, and I that way you guys, it. right? Justin put out the number, but if you didn't catch it, we'll definitely have that attached to this, so you can reach out to Rebel Recovery. Where are you guys located? Uh, twenty-seven twenty Forest Hill Boulevard in West Palm. West Palm off of Forest Hill, right? Right. Yep. Yeah, you said Forest Hill. Okay. Um, so that being said, talk to me for a moment about what it's like working with government officials and edu- and educating you're educating police officers or, or when they listen right so you're uh, going to a lot of i see you going to i mean you're on panels right now yeah right what, what's that all about um a lot of it started with um with just like putting out information about harm reduction um, before rebel recovery um started doing its work um there was only there's only two other um, agencies that are doing harm reduction in the state. One's in Miami, the Idea Exchange, which is the only legal syringe exchange in the state. And on the West Coast, um, you have Suncoast Harm Reduction Project. Um, but before that, nobody was looking at harm reduction. All we were talking about was how do we get people into treatment? And we have to 
I felt like we we owed it to our community um, and to the to the my friends, my family, the people that um, I knew that were using drugs to ensure that they they were safe. And and harm reduction is is the most effective way to do that. Um, you know, we have uh, when we look at. Um, trying to educate government officials, police officers, things like that about harm reduction, um, it's, a, it's a frustrating process. I bet, um, I bet. It, it's a frustrating process to try to change the narrative that we've had for 50 years, which is that drug users are criminals, drug users are less than, they're, they're not, um, they're, they're morally defective. And we have this um, attitude from the top all the way down to our local communities that, um, that in order for us to offer somebody help, we need them to prove how willing they are to accept the help. And to me, that is insane and it is completely unacceptable um, to require that somebody want to um, be abstinent or want to engage in this specific type of recovery or have anybody set the standard for what their recovery looks like before we help them. Um, I think there are ways to improve drug users' lives. Um, regardless of their status as a drug user, whether it's former, current, future. Right. Um, there are ways to improve their lives, but it, 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 it requires us to change the narrative that um, I am a person first, right? I am a person who uses drugs. I'm not an addict. I'm not somebody seeking recovery. I'm a, I'm a person right. who part of my life is happens to be that I use drugs and and I should still be um i should still be worth somebody attempting to improve my quality of life you're beyond the politics of the industry you're beyond the talks about ethical and unethical your main whole core is help a person that's it it's i mean i you know i love drug users i love people who use drugs I, how could i not right Right, like that was me. That is my story. I don't, I don't see their recovery path. I don't see um, any of the other uh, differences in there. All I see is that, like, this person uses drugs and they're making a personal choice, regardless of how we feel about it or how uncomfortable it makes us. The most damaging thing. Um, the most damaging aspect of using drugs is other people's reaction to it, right? We look at the court's reaction, the police's reaction. Right. I was never worried about um, overdosing or, or overamping. I was concerned about getting arrested. I was concerned about, am I going to lose my job, even if I'm good at my job? Right. The right. simple fact of putting a substance in your body um, is has become this this crime, and it, and it makes you, puts you on this... It makes you a leper, right? But like, show me a person who doesn't use drugs. Right, right, right. I it, have two. It, I have two monsters sitting in front of me right now. Like, right. I am um, completely addicted to caffeine. I'll be having a Newport soon, right? And if we consider food a drug, it's over. Um, oh, so, <laughs> right. So, Wendy's has been anyway. So, um, you guys recently won an award. That was you opening a monster, not a beer. Was. Yeah, it's fine. We're, we're good. Not a beer. It was a monster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, what, what award did you guys when I saw that obviously we we won about um we won the Palm Beach um, County Substance Awareness Coalition's um, community business champion award 
funnily enough, before we even had an EIN number, which is like your right. federal yeah. tax ID number, <laughs> when we started this work, when we started peer supportive services and, and harm reduction, we didn't have a company. It was just me with a box of naloxone and and syringes just going around my town and you know this is my home and just going around and just being like hey man you want some naloxone yeah so like to win the community business champion award and we weren't even like technically a business it was cool you know (laughs) what i mean like really really like i'm pre-winning awards (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's it's well deserved man and i i you know like being a halfway house owner was a, a hard journey for me it's not something i think i'll ever go back to directly but stories like yours and people that I got to see and meet and watch, and there's so many different, but yours is just so unique. It's made everything that was ever hard for me more than worth it, man. I just really, I love you. I appreciate you. I love you too, man. Thank you so much for coming out. Of course. And, uh, Anytime. We're going to put all your information for Rebel Recovery down in this podcast. People reach yes. out to Justin, and you guys will respond on Facebook, or what else do you want to say? Um, I do want to say, like, uh, if you need um, supportive services, if you... Um, are an active drug user, if you are somebody who is seeking recovery, considering recovery, regardless of the um, the form that that takes on, be it abstinence space, 12-step, refuge, whatever it is, um, Rebel Recovery holds no judgments. Um, we are completely um, objective to the form that your recovery takes. We believe you're in recovery when you say you are, and um, that recovery exists on a continuum. And it goes from from actively using all the way up into abstinence. And um, we have support for anybody. Um, we don't require any money. We don't deal with insurance. Um, whatever services you may need, if you just need a little support, someone to help get you from one point to another, um, call us. And, and someone will show up that day and, and um, make sure that you, you get access to whatever services it is that you need. Awesome. You are a hero to me, man. I appreciate you so much. Thanks, man. And we'll talk soon. Thanks, everybody.